Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. Hey, excited to open up God's Word today and to look at Romans chapter 12 together. And we're going to do that here in just a moment as we begin a new series called AIM. Um, but before we, we do that, I just want to share this, this thought with you, and, and that has to do with a confession about my life. And that confession is I've been staying up late recently watching a lot of Olympics. Is anybody, can anybody relate to me on that? Uh, you've been watching a lot of Olympics. There's a few hands that are still down. You can repent. You got another week. It's okay. Um, but, but for many of us, our lives have, have watched these Olympic games unfold over the last week or so. Now, the interesting thing about the Olympics to me is that we are interested in things that we are never interested in. Um, it's not often that swimming live on television, on the radio, whatever, it's not often that swimming is a must watch thing for us. And yet, every day, we're, we're wanting to catch every minute of the swim meet. Um, it's not often that gymnastics is the same way, and yet, yet here we are following these events every night. And it's not just those sports, right? There, there's other sports that in Olympic years we care about, and then we forget about them for four years. Um, but, but one category of those sports are the shooting sports, things like rifle and archery. An example of that, just eight days ago, I was working in the garage, which in itself is a small miracle. It doesn't happen very often. I was out in my garage. I was cleaning it up, and my wife comes running into the garage to let me know that, that America, Jenny Thrasher, had won the gold in the air rifle competition. Now, now that also is something that doesn't happen very much. Um, but yet, we, we, we care about these things in Olympic years. And because of that, we, we kind of become generally familiar with some of the things related to those sports. And when you think about those shooting sports, there's a variety of things that those athletes, those competitors need to do in order to win their competition. The first thing they must do is they must be ready. They must be ready. Uh, they must have uh, their, their rifle ready to go. They must have ammo in it. They must have their, their bow in hand. They must have an arrow in the quiver. If they didn't have those things, there's no way that they could win. They must be ready. But not only must they be ready, but they also must aim. There's no way they could win that competition merely by being ready. They have to be ready, but then they have to be able to aim and, and get the target in sight. But then not only must they aim, and not only must they be ready, but then they also must fire. They must be able to, to pull the trigger, to let the arrow fly, so that they would actually be able to hit the target. In order to win in those competitions, there has to be a healthy balance of ready, aim, and fire. And you know, with the help of, of Dr. Henry Cloud, I, I've noticed that those words are helpful for our lives as well as we think about our areas of, of competition, the things that we do. We need a balance of ready, aim, and fire. Now, when, when I say that, uh, some of us will gravitate towards one of those areas more than others. Some of us like to be ready. We want to read everything there is to read. We want to know everything there is to know. Uh, we want to be ready to do something. But sometimes 
those of us who are good at getting ready struggle with actually accomplishing it, but we get ready. I'll give you an example. Think of exercising. Many, if not most, if not all of us in this room, at some point in our lives have gotten ready to exercise. We've bought shoes. We might have even bought a health club membership. But just having those things, just being ready, we need more than that, don't we? Some of us get ready. Others, uh, aiming is our thing. We want to talk strategy, and we want to know exactly, precisely what we are to do and, and how it works out. Without that, that strategy, without that aiming piece, we'd never accomplish something. As a matter of fact, that's what keeps some of us from exercising. We might get ready to exercise, but then we show up at the health club and we have no idea how much to lift or where or what or why or how. We need some help with aiming. But for others of us, we, we know about the aiming. We just might not be ready. Or we might have trouble firing. Now, firing is something that some of you are really good at, just doing stuff. Um, we admire you. You're able to just go and do things. But part of the problem, if we just go and do things, is we might do the wrong things. We might have a little recklessness in our lives, right? If we're to have health in our, in our lives, we need to have balance of being ready, aimed, and then firing. And you know, when I read the book of Romans, what I see is a similar pattern unfolding. For 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, what we see is that God is getting us ready in Christ. Over and over again, we, we learn about how God has forgiven us, how he has equipped us with his spirit, about how he has united us inside of his family. We have seen for 11 chapters that we are ready in Christ. And we have some general understanding that we want to, to do something in response to that. But what are we to do? Where are we to aim our lives? If we want our lives over the next nine months of this school year and on into the future, if we want our lives to be pointed towards his purpose, where should they be aimed? What should we have in our scope? Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, which is where Paul makes that turn. After talking about how we are ready in Christ, he makes a turn to let us know what we should be aiming at in our spiritual lives. And so today we're going to begin that study by looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And, and I, I say that uh, this is a passage of Scripture that should be very intriguing to you. This is a passage of Scripture, a section of God's Word that you should be very interested in because you're here today. That means that at some level, you want your lives to be honoring to God over the next year. You're curious about it at the very least. You're motivated for that at the most. But when we think about all that God has done to prepare us in Christ and the life we want to fire away at, what are we to aim at this year? We're going to see some of those things in Romans 12. The first installment of that we're going to see today in verses 1 and 2. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 1. Now, I've already read these verses for us, so we'll dive in. And as we dive in, we're going to see two things today that we should aim at over the coming year. 
The, the first thing we're going to see is this. We are to respond to all that God is with all that we are. We're to respond to all that God is with all that we are. What are we to aim at this year? We are to respond to all that God is with all that we are. Now, we see this in chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, there is so much in this verse, it's helpful for us to break it down kind of phrase by phrase. Paul writes here, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He's writing this verse to brothers. He's writing this verse to fellow Christians. It'd be fair to translate this brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not a statement. It's not a command that Paul wanted to give to those who were not followers of Christ. This is a call to those who are followers of Christ. If we are followers of Christ, what are we to do? You know, over the last number of months as we've walked through Romans chapters 1 through 11, um, there is some part of that, whether it's the first time you've heard that message or the, or the hundredth time, as we talked over and over again about how salvation is a gift of God given to us that we receive by faith. As we've heard that message over and over again, there has to be some part of you that has wondered, well, what am I to do in response to that? I am a follower of Christ. I believe in the gospel. I'm connected to God forever based on what Jesus has done for me. But what do I do now? If you've thought that ever over the last number of months, this is your week. Because today we look at Romans 12:1, where Paul writes, and he is going to give an appeal to brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, this is to us. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He's making an appeal. Now, I think this is a, an interesting thing that Paul does. It's a very pastoral thing that he does, a very tender thing. See, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone who's writing the word of God down for us, Paul could have been tempted to be more forceful. Hey, you, do this. But that's not what he does. He makes an appeal. He urges us. Why does he do it that way? Because God wants us to choose to respond to him based on who he is. He wants us to choose to follow him. He wants us to respond in that way. And so Paul, rather than just giving us an external command and telling us to just do it like Nike, Paul says, I want to urge you towards something. I want to make an appeal to you on the basis of who God is. Paul makes a similar appeal in the book of Philemon, chapters 8 and 9, where he says, hey, look, I could, as an apostle, tell you to get over this slavery thing, Philemon, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to make an appeal on a different level to you. I'm going to urge you, as a brother in Christ, to make the right call. Paul does the same thing with all of us here. He's, he's urging us to do something. I'm taking a similar tone with us today. As a pastor of this congregation, I urge you, I make an appeal to you. Well, what is that appeal? Well, the appeal that he's going to make is made on the basis of the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In other words, we are to respond to God based on who he is and what he has done for us. Because God is merciful, we are to respond to that mercy. Now, friends, this is not the way that the religions of the world work. The religions of the world work this way. We do something so that God would be merciful to us. We have to do something to secure 
his attitude towards us that would be at least a little bit loving or maybe just a little bit merciful. That's the way the world's religions work. Things like Islam and, and Hinduism and tribal religions, they're, they're all built around this idea of we do something so that God is merciful to us. But friends, that is not Christianity. Christianity is not about us doing something so that God would be merciful. Christianity is about a God who is merciful and has extended life to us through Jesus Christ. And when we enter into a relationship with him, receiving that mercy, receiving that grace, then there's a response that comes out of our lives, but it comes after God is merciful. It comes after who he is. It's not to secure anything from him. Friends, see, there's an appeal that is made to us by the mercies of God. Well, what are the mercies of God? Well, Paul has detailed them over 11 chapters of the book of Romans. We've walked through them over the last 12 months or so here at Wildwood. I want to highlight just some of them for us, some evidences of God's mercy. God's merciful to us in that he justified us. Romans 5.1, he made peace between us and God by forgiving us of our sins, by justifying us through his work on the cross. He's merciful, and it's demonstrated by how he has set us free from our sin. Not only are we forgiven, but we're set free. Romans 6.18 lets us know that, that we have an opportunity to follow God in obedience that did not exist before. Sin's necessary rule in our lives has been broken We have the opportunity for obedience. We have the opportunity for growth. God's mercy is revealed to us in that we are given eternal life in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that famous verse, we know at least the first half, for the wages of sin is death. But what does the verse continue to say? But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The mercies of God revealed to us through life itself. The mercies of God revealed to us through the fact that we have no condemnation now in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Though we struggle with sin, wrath and condemnation are separated from us. They were satisfied and paid for in Christ. Romans chapter 8.9 lets us know that in Christ the mercy of God is revealed to us and that the Holy Spirit now comes to indwell us, not as a phone a friend on the outside, but as God's presence inside of us. And a commitment that God has made so intently that not only does he place his spirit inside of us, but he has adopted us as his children, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And not only has he adopted us as his children, but he's made promises to walk with us forever all the way into eternity, sanctifying us in this life and leading us into a glorification in his presence forever. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. And not only that, but God is merciful, and he has chosen to be kind to us. Romans 9, 16 mentions his mercy. Romans eleven twenty two is kindness. See, friends, it is on the basis of the mercies of God that we respond. We, we don't respond so that God does these things for us. He has done them for us in Christ. But because he has done those, how do we respond? Well, We respond in a particular way. We respond with a heart of gratitude, and we respond with a a offering up of ourselves. We'll see that in just a moment. But isn't it interesting that he highlights our response to God on the basis of who God is and what he has done? 
You know, in our lives, sometimes we're, we're really good at repaying or saying thank you or repaying the favor for those uh, that help us on really small things. You ever done this? You know, the, the, you go to a, a store or you go to a restaurant and there's the two doors, there's a little vestibule, and, and somebody goes up and they open that first door for you. What do you do? You run right inside and grab the second door so you can return the favor, don't you? You feel pretty good when you do that, don't you? you, you you've, you've responded to their kindness in some way. On the very small things in life, we're, we're very good about doing that, but on the big things, sometimes we forget. We get so accustomed, so used to the blessings that we've gotten from things like our family or um, people that we see every day, a neighbor, a, an employer, those kinds of things. We get so accustomed to those things, we, we take them for granted sometimes. How much more so it is with God. I mean, what God has done for us in Christ, and yet sometimes we forget that, and it causes us to respond in more bland ways. We're to remember the mercies of God, and when we do so, God wants us to respond with all that we are. How are we to respond? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it mean for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Now, anytime I mention the word sacrifice, and I mention it in, in the context of the Bible, you're probably thinking of Old Testament sacrifices. See, the Old Testament of the Bible, the first 39 books, are full of sacrifices that were made. They were made in the temple. And yet, when you think of, of this room and this place where we come to worship, uh, we have no altar like that at the front. We have, there's no knife up here on the stage. There are no animals that will be killed as a part of this worship service. Um, why is that? Seriously, real question. Why is it that, that we do not offer animal sacrifices any longer? I see some mouths moving and murmuring. I think you know the answer. Because of Jesus, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God who was offered as a sacrifice for our sins once and for all. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we no longer offer animal sacrifices which were temporary coverings for sin. But because Jesus died once and for all, there has been a final sacrifice for our sins. But, but here in this passage, Paul says it's appropriate for believers in Christ to offer a sacrifice. What's he talking about? F.F. Bruce, commenting on this, uh, said this. I love this quote. He says, the sacrifices of the new order, talking about the new covenant in Christ. He says, the sacrifices of the new order do not consist in taking the lives of others like ancient animal sacrifices, but in giving one's own. See, the appropriate response based on who God is is for us to respond with all that we are, to place ourselves on the figurative altar before God and say, God, it's all yours. We're to offer our lives, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, what are the characteristics of a living sacrifice? Well, the number one characteristic is that it is alive. We should be thankful for that, friends. When we think of what it means for us to offer our lives back to God, it's not for us to offer our lives and He takes it and kills us immediately. God in His grace allows us to continue to live. 
We are a living sacrifice, but a sacrifice no less. One that lays our life before the Lord and says, Lord, take this life and use it. Every part of it is yours. Based on who you are, Lord, I offer you back my life. Now, this is a living sacrifice. And one of the challenges with living sacrifices is that they are alive, which means that we have a tendency to want to wander away from the altar. And so the call for us to respond to God and all that He is with all that we are is a response that we must do daily, laying our lives down before Him, committing our lives to Him, to follow Him, and to allow His will and not ours to be the dominant force within our lives. That's what God is calling us to do, to lay our lives out as a living sacrifice. And he he says here that this living sacrifice before God, he says that it is holy and acceptable. Now, again, that language reminds us of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, where the sacrifices must have been without blemish and providing a fragrant aroma to God. And I think the idea is that when we lay our lives before God, we lay out not our leftovers, but our best. We say to God, no, you, God, you, you can have just this little part of my life. No, when we are really offering our lives as a living sacrifice, we say, God, you can have it all. Not just that portion of our lives between 945 and 1045 on Sunday morning, you have it all. Not just that 15 minutes of devotional life, but you have it all. Lord, I lay my entire life before you that you would have it all. That is the response of a believer in Christ. Based on the mercies of God, we come back before him and we say, Lord, I give you my all. Everything in my life I lay before you. It's a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. He says that that sacrifice is our spiritual worship. Now, I don't think that's a very good translation of these words, and and I say that with humility, and I say that uh, very cautiously, because I want to tell you, as an English-speaking person, we have many great Bibles in our hands, and the translation work on these is outstanding. But I'll I'll, I'll tell you that I think that this translation of spiritual worship, there's a better translation available for those words. The words literally mean our rational service. The word here translated spiritual is the word logikos, from which we get our word logic. The word translated worship is our word for service. Why do we call these worship services? Well, we're we're gathering to serve the Lord in this time. See, what Paul is really saying here, I think, is that the logical, the rational, the reasonable response to the mercy of God is to lay out our lives completely before him. Based on what God has done for us in the past, the logical response is to lay out our lives and say, I'll follow you anywhere. Based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross and God demonstrated his love for us, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the logical response is to say, Lord, you can have my life. And and not only about our past, but also about our present. See, sometimes when we think of sacrifice, we think of giving up something good. We think of that in terms of sacrifice. I'm, if, I, if you come over to my house tonight and I only have one scoop of ice cream left in the, in the carton, 
um, and I, I give it to you instead of eating it myself, I might in my mind say, I have sacrificed the last scoop of briars for you. But the interesting thing, when we think about our following Christ and our response to him, is that it is not a, a sacrifice in the term of giving up something good in order to follow Christ, because God's plans for us are the best, according to his purpose. You know, when I was a kid, one of the things that we would talk about when we talk about sacrifice, at the high of, the, of that pinnacle, like, you know, sacrifice down here, maybe working in the nursery, you know, sacrifice here maybe was, uh, you know, going down and working at the, at the soup kitchen or something like that. Sacrifice up here at the top of the pile was going and serving where? In Africa, right? Uh, that was at the top of the list, at least in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, growing up. I, I, I thought that way, that those who really sacrificed a lot would go to Africa. I ran across a quote this last week that, that reminded me of uh, this, this idea from a man who wrote in his private journal while he was a missionary to Africa in the 1800s, a man by the name of David Livingston. This is what Livingston said. He said, people talk of the sacrifice that I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, and such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself. Friends, when we follow Christ, we are accepting the best, not something less. When you think of what you're aiming for this year, laying down your lives before him actually adds to you. And I'm not talking about adding to you health or money, okay? I'm talking about adding to you meaning and the opportunity to honor God. Things that will last far beyond this season of your life. Paul reminds us that we are to aim at laying down our lives before God and saying, it is all yours. What would it look like for you to lay down your life before him in this coming year, in your family life? What would it look like for you to say, Lord, I'm a living sacrifice in my family life. I'm going to follow your will for my family. I'm going to lean into my marriage, even if I've been leaning out, based on, on, on who you are. In your mercy, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to serve my, 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 my child, or I'm going to honor my parents, even though I'm exasperated by them right now. Notice I took that in both directions. All of us can relate to that. Laying our lives out before. What would it look like in your work life? What would it look like if you said, I'm going to honor you with, with what I do? How would that impact how you go to school this year? How would that impact 
how you relate within your workplace, corners you might not cut, living your life as a living sacrifice before him, in your relational life. Friends, what would it look like for us to lay out our lives before him as a living sacrifice? We're called to respond to all that God is with all that we are. The second thing that we see in this passage, though, is this. We're to remember that a transformation is needed. We're to remember that a transformation is needed. We see this in in verse 2. In verse 2, Paul is reminding us of this, this reality that our minds are always being shaped in some direction. When he says mind, it's not just talking about our, our brain. It's more of, a, of an understanding of our, our, you know, our hard drive, our control center, our decision-making apparatus in our lives. It's always being influenced by something. Just a reality of living in this life. Paul says here that our minds can be conformed to this world. They can be poured into. The word for world here is the word for age can be poured into the the way of thinking of this age. Our mind will either be poured into the way of thinking of this age, or it says it will be transformed by God as he renews our mind. One way or the other, we will be impacted. We're headed someplace this year towards conformity or towards transformation. I was thinking about this, and I thought about an experience I had a number of years ago on a river in northern Arkansas uh, fishing for trout. And while we were fishing for trout, we would, we would float downstream, and then we would turn the engine on, and we would drive back upstream, and then we would float downstream, and we'd turn the engine on, and we'd drive back upstream. And as we did that over and over again, everybody caught fish but me. It wasn't fair, but, but we were out there anyway. But eventually, the engine on that boat broke. And at that point... We did not have the option of just staying still. We kept floating downstream. The current was just that strong. In order for us to go back upstream where we wanted to go, we needed a new engine. And thankfully, we eventually got one. We found it on the bank. No, I'm kidding. We were able to contact the folks, and they came, and they got us, and they helped us back. But it it took a transformation. We were always moving someplace. And the world in which we live has a pretty strong current, doesn't it? The age in which we live, and we're, we're used to thinking this way. It, we're living in 2016 in America. We're used to talking about how this is the worst that it's ever been. In the history of the world, this is the worst that it's ever been. It's just deteriorated, deteriorated, deteriorated. Here's, here's proof. 2,000 years ago, you know what they were saying? The world has a current. The age in which we live has a current that wants to sweep us away from God. It's not new. Our problem is not unique. The expressions in our world we're familiar with. Conformity to this world, basically, I, I, this, is, this is how I, I think it, to understand it. Conformity to this world is conformity to a world with me at the center. That's what the world wants us to think. This age is all about me. So that any expression of, of sexual behavior is good if I like it. That's the conformity of the world. An expression that says that any material possession that I come into contact with, whether it be money or things, it's all for me. That's the age in which we live. Uh, an age that, that wants us to think that we get to determine when life begins. That it's, it's my vote that says whether or not 
the child in the womb is a, is a living person or not. See, we, we live in an age that wants to push us in that direction, even with religion. What is the religion of 2016? It's that all roads are the same, all paths lead to God. It's, it's a me-centered, we get to decide. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book. That's the world in which we live. And, and if we're not careful, we will float downstream with that current. But as we think about where we're headed this year, where we're called to be transformed by God instead. To allow the Spirit of God inside of us and the Word of God in front of us to transform our thinking. Now, earlier today in our service, we, we were able to uh, hear the testimony of, of Landon Key. And we're going to use Landon as our, our youngest representative of a brother in Christ today. Okay? Um, but I, I, I'm going to venture a guess that there is somebody in this room that has been walking with God for at least 50 years. If you've been walking with God for 50 years, could you just raise your hand? We've got a few, okay? So we'll use Keith. I, first one I saw, we'll use Keith as our example of the 50-plus. Um, and so from Landon to Keith, you know what's interesting? The current of this world, it's still moving for Keith. You know, we think of verses like this and we think, boy, we really need to make sure that we have an eye on what Landon consumes because we don't want Landon to get swept away with the current of this world. But, you know, you've been walking with God for 50 years. Keith, you're exempt. That's the way we think, right? But it's not true, friends. Whether you have followed Christ for five minutes or for 50 years, we need to have our minds transformed Because left to our own devices, we will equate truth with error. We need to be transformed. Why is it that we read this? You know, you may have walked in here, and if you've, you know, Keith, I'm not going to ask you how many times you have heard Romans 12, 1 and 2 taught. It's going to be many, I'm sure, um, by people much better than me. We're not going to rank them, okay? We're not going to do that. Um, Why do we come back and hear it again? Why do you have a a devotional time? Once you've read through the Bible in one year, why read it the next? Because a current is strong, friends. And we need to continue to have our minds transformed by the will of God and the Word of God so that we could discern and determine. That's this idea of testing what the will of God is. Friends, God wants to transform our minds this year. Will you allow him to do it? Will you lay your life out before him and say, Lord, whatever you, your, your will is, that, that's where I am? Will you open his word and prayerfully read it? Will you gather and, and have it read around you and discuss it in small groups? Will you do those things so that, that God could transform your mind and your heart this year? See, a transformation is needed because the age and the current is strong. What are you aiming at this year, friends? My prayer is that you aim for sacrifice and transformation. The glory of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to gather and to read your word today, to study it. Father, I thank you that you um, just are merciful to us that we do not perform to secure your blessing, 
but we respond because you have blessed us by laying down our lives before you. I pray that we would be people that would offer all of our lives holy and acceptable, the best of us and the worst of us. We would lay all of it before you, that our hearts would be yours, that you would take it all and use it according to your purpose. Pray, Father, now that you would guide us as we sing in response to this and worship you in Jesus' name.